Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. So good to have you with us, everybody. Welcome to the broadcast. It is Monday, beautiful Monday, September 21st, and we're really excited about this broadcast because we're going to be giving a servicing update. We do that regularly regularly <laughs> on this broadcast. I think I need another cup of coffee here or something. Too much traveling last week, but we, uh, we do a regular update on what's going on with servicing. We're really honored to have David Allison of Dovin Mule Mortgage Incorporated with us. He is senior vice president, head of sales there, and David will be in the latter part of the broadcast, in the hot topic segment of the broadcast, giving us an update on what's going on in the world of servicing, some of the economics. Is this the time to be doing it? What are the latest complexities with loans with CFPB and the regulatory environment? I mean, very interesting discussion. And whether you're originator or just uh, you know just someone who has never thought about retaining servicing, I think you'll find this very interesting. Even the originators have called us and emailed us about the broadcast. They go, you know, it's just good to know what's going on with it, that part of it, even though I'm just originator. I respect the originators, and the ones interesting that are doing the best are some of the ones that find themselves most interested about everything going on in the industry. And that's what we try to provide here on this broadcast. Again, this broadcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Award. Special thank you goes out, as they do each week, to our sponsors, United Guarantee, who is a sponsor and has been for a number of years now. Very proud to have them for the fourth consecutive year in a row. They are the number one MI company in the United States. We're grateful to have them here. I talk a lot about the various things that in the programs that United Guarantee has to offer, but as we get into the conference, and we're coming up to the annual conference, the MBA conference that's upcoming, I really want to encourage you to connect with your representatives. There's some things that they're going to be talking about, some more announcements going to be made and that's going on within UG, and I'm very excited to see some of the things they're doing. They're doing this the, the, the award program, the recognition program, and if you have not signed up or gone on their website to check that out, I encourage you to do so. Go to UGCorp.com, or you can go to our website, look at on lending, and you can check out and click on their ad on the upper right-hand corner, and it'll take you to their website. I encourage you to take advantage of this some of the promotional things that they're doing, as well as an opportunity to honor industry leaders in our industry, specifically at your company. Also, I want to say a special thank you to Velma. It stands for the Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. It's a set-it-and-forget-it auto campaign featured way of getting your campaigns out on the fly or on, out there uh, just uh, however how frequently you want. The best part about the partnership with Velma is that I'm just amazed at how what an interest they take in getting your message, you helping developing you to develop your message in such a way that it has the greatest uh, stickiness. It, it really connects with the audience. So they are more than just a you know a 
firm that just distributes. They're there with you and advising you on some great messaging. I really have enjoyed my conversation relationship with them. Just lots of wisdom there. encourage you to connect with them. also want to say a special thank you to Alice and Joe and Andy, all of which are regular contributors to the broadcast. And you'll, you'll hear more about that. We run the ads about their services. I really encourage you to connect with them, for they make this broadcast just so much. They just provide so much for that. So a special thank you to all of them. We also have, let's see here, we've got Paul Mala will be most likely dialing in, joining us later on here somewhere in the broadcast. Unfortunately, Sam Garcia is not going to be here with us today, but we've got a full lineup of a lot of great information. But let's uh, talk briefly about the upcoming NBA conference. We have the annual conference in San Diego that's coming up on the dates of the uh, 18th. starts on Sunday the 18th, runs through the 21st. We'll be there and look forward to connecting with there. Next week we have our special guest, David Stevens, and then followed by that, Mike Frattentoni. So we'll be talking about the conference. Lots of stuff going on in this industry. It's important that you stay up to date on everything that's going on. So without further ado, let's get over and check what's going on in the markets. Joe Farr, I'm looking at this line. It's it's heading south. It's not one of those things where, you know, give us a perspective of what's going on today. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a reversal of the big moves that happened on Friday. Not a complete reversal, but uh, uh, moving in the opposite direction as uh, people reposition their portfolios. Uh, The MBS prices are are down about eight thirty seconds from where they ended the day on Friday, and uh, they're also about three or four thirty seconds below mid-morning pricing levels, so any further drop in prices, I think you need to be aware that there could be unfavorable price changes coming. So no real news to speak of today, Dave. The the existing home sales came out, and it was a little weaker than expected. Of course, you expect weak economic data to have the opposite effect on mortgage prices, so that clearly wasn't uh, cause for uh, market movement today. The the existing home sales came in a little short of where they were last month and below expectations. So they are 6.2% better than August of last year. So we're still uh, got a well, nice well, housing trend recovery is good. going. Yeah. 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 So uh, uh, last week, as we all know, was a crazy week. Uh, economic crazy data week. had little to do with it, even though, you know, much like this morning's prices, a little weaker than expected. The data last week was generally weaker than expected. Uh, some big things, too. Retail sales grew, but at a slower pace than expected. The industrial production number fell further than what was expected. Uh, a couple manufacturing uh, indices in New York and and, uh, and Pennsylvania fell short of expectations. Uh, uh, housing starts were still very healthy, but uh, again, like existing home sales, were down from the prior month. So, again, uh, misses on all those. There was some good news coming out of the Home Builder Con- Con- Confidence Index, which grew yeah. again to 61. I think that's the be- best it's been in many years. And initial jobless claims fell to uh, 264,000. So that's a very healthy number on the job market. But none of that seemed to matter. It was all about the Fed leading up to it and following it. So uh, ahead of the Thursday Fed statement press conference, we'd seen some selling pressure on mortgages. Uh, MBS prices fell almost a half a point while stocks improved. Uh, then once the statement was read and the press and during the press conference, MBS prices gave all that uh, or recovered all that and more. They ended up uh, 21, 30 seconds up on the day. Uh, 
for the week, they ended up about a half a point. So it wound up being a good week uh, for mortgage-backed securities, but not not such a good week for stocks. So why was that good? I mean, the the Fed didn't raise, and that's that yeah. was a good thing for mortgages. And not so much because they didn't raise the Fed funds rate, but because of what they said about inflation. You know, they cited uh, overseas issues. They cited lower commodity prices, all likely putting pressure on inflation to move lower in the near term. They also extended their projections for when we'll even get to 2% inflation to uh, out to 2018. So with that kind of outlet coming from the Fed, it tells investors that they are not expecting to be very aggressive in raising the Fed funds rate and and likely they're, they're – uh, well, they read into that. The inflation numbers uh, can uh, – hopefully will be expected to be low. I know investors make up their own decisions, but with the Fed controlling that Fed funds rate, it really gave them some confidence to feel like that there's not going to be a push higher in mortgage rates, uh, significantly higher in mortgage rates over the over the next few years. Really? It, it, you, know, you sit and look at the direction of interest rates, and you see how things are moving around. And so many people have said we just are not, cannot expect to see a um, any rate increase at all. In fact, anything, we're going to see ourselves some more quantitative easing. It's just really fascinating. Well, I'm not at that, that point yet, but I do think that you're not uh, there. The uh, I do think that that whatever raises happen to the Fed funds rate are going to be very slow and low. Fascinating. Lots of great information. Um, anything else that you're going to draw our attention to here with what's happening? Well, let's talk about uh, this week. It's oh, going this to seem week. Tame yeah, this week we got the week. durable goods. Yeah. yeah. We got durable orders coming out on Thursday, new home sales on Thursday. Uh, we've got the third revision to GDP, uh, and you'd think by three revisions you'd get it right, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the first quarter of GDP was revised uh, uh, after the third revision, and there were big right. revisions to to between second and uh, between the second and third. So, uh, you know, not to say we'll see that, but it could be a, a big revision to the current GDP number. So, um, and then consumer sentiment comes out on Friday. Yep, and that's going to be very fascinating. GDP, and, and it's just really interesting when you look at. And again, Joe, as you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and. Loving to talk to you about this stuff. We get on the side, and you're such a great resource about what's going on. You sit and watch. You and your team look up and down all these various indicators, and and really been just amazingly accurate and you know not predicting, but at least providing really a good context of how to digest all this information. That's really what MBS Quote Line is all about, folks. If you're not signed up, encourage you to do so. You want to learn how to do that? Stay tuned. Listen to this ad. We'll be right back after this brief break. Economic uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility for the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked a loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS Quoline can eliminate these frustrations. MBS Quoline monitors Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginnie Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information conveniently available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoline, you'll never be out of touch with the market. 
market. Whether you're in the office or on the road, see for yourself what MBS Quote Line can do for you. Go to MBSQuoteLine.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. MBSQuoteLine.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. Good to have you be with us, everybody. Good to have you be with us. Anyway, good to have you with us. I don't know where that came from. It's one of those things. It was one brutal week of travel last week. We did the broadcast from the Motivity Conference, and we had the banquet that we be in the banquet at the main ballroom, and they uh, ran it over the PA system. It was a lot of fun, and we got a lot of feedback. Paul, you were a real hit. A lot of feedback came to me from afterwards. They go, I just love the way Paul brings in some of the news items, and you certainly have some big ones on there. The Pemco announcement today. I want to get into it. Good to have you on the broadcast, Paul. Thank you, David. I'm not sure. Did Pimco actually announce it, or are you just talking about the story? We well, no, I'm talking about they buy this. Did they buy a stake in there? I'm reading your headline here. Pimco buys oh, a stake okay. in First Guarantee. I'm sorry, I'm reading. Yeah, because the, the if, Pimco, if Pimco admitted anything, it would be a huge story. I mean, right? Uh, listen, they've been eyeing the mortgage sector for several years, and they, uh, they own part. They own a small piece of PHH, at least based on their SEC mm-hmm. filings. You know they've uh, they've been looking at mortgage companies um, you know for quite some time and they apparently bought into FGMC which is First Guarantee Mortgage Corp right. uh, company uh, I believe it's I'm pretty sure it's headquartered in Frederick Maryland or at least in the D.C. area uh, Andy Peters there sometimes will talk to me on the record in this case he declined a total comment at all so um, but the word is that uh, you know there's a deal and I'm not sure exactly what or how much um, PIMCO's investing in FGMC, but I'm told it's going to give them capital and money to grow. And, uh, you know, I guess, you know, what is the end game here? I would guess PIMCO, like Blackstone, is, you know, eventually eyeing perhaps the non-agency market, whether Mm -hmm. it's jumbos or non-QMs. I mean, that's what people are talking about, the bigger picture uh, right now. And, you know, we'll see. Maybe it would be nice if PIMCO came out and... um, talked a little bit more specifically what they were up to, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe some of these mortgage that's not companies been their will. M- yeah. they're, that's never been their MO there. They've, they've no. moving, but, yeah, but if anyone's going to get it, you would get it. They would so assume they'd talk to you. But anyway, it's a very interesting move, and it's a trend because we do pay close attention to PIMCO. They, they're leader in the industry, so it's interesting that they're uh, you know, is it doubling down or at least increasing their investments in the space. So fascinating. Great story. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll continue to track and see see what happens. Uh, other story today: we we crunch as we always do the uh, Ginnie Mae uh, securitization numbers. VA jumbo securitization of VA jumbos uh, has really mm-hmm. jumped from last year. Uh, perhaps that's not surprising, but you know we, we can't emphasize enough. VA lending is really growing and has grown quite a bit. I think part of it is you know the reasons are a couplefold. Uh, there's more service uh, members, um, men and women, who are eligible. But I, I think it's, it's probably the no-down payment function of that program, uh, which is probably, you know, spurring originations to some degree. So that's, you know, another trend to watch. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Ivey of our staff was out at the uh, ABS East Conference in uh, Miami last week. He filed several stories for us, which are in our newsletters. Uh, he did a takeout on New Penn, which is up to about $15 million a month. And non-QM lending, uh, that's not that's a huge not number, happened. but it's it, it's a number. And I, I guess what was interesting, one of the folks from New Penn basically said one of the reasons we're not seeing uh, more LOs originate these loans is because they're sort of hard to get done. 
and right now they're taking the low uh, low hanging fruit, which is the conventional stuff. So uh, we threw that out there. Phoenix uh, Capital, like many firms, like many of these servicing brokerage firms, is out there with a with a new flow deal. Theirs is uh, somewhere in the range of forty sixty million per month. Uh, who else has been at that Mountain View? We've written about all their deals. IMA, uh, Tom Piercy Shop, uh, Presswick. Uh, there's a number of it's really active right now in that space, so we'll continue to cover that. Uh, George Brooks has got a story about uh, lenders. Uh, they want drastic changes to the FHA claims paying rule. They're real not happy with it, uh, so we're going to see how that progresses. There's a big Jeannie May summit, by the way, in D.C. today and uh, tomorrow as well, and we'll be covering that on the website a bit as well as in our newsletters. Uh, we understand there is a Canadian pension fund, by the way, that's eyeing a, a subservicing shop. We're trying to get more details on that. We heard that one uh, late last week. Uh, the single-family rental business is, is big news, always is, uh, and there's a merger in that space. Uh, Starwood, Waypoint Residential is merging with American Homes. When the deal's done, they'll own about 30 single-family rental units. That's, that's pretty interesting. Mm. Uh, Michigan Mutual, a non-bank in the Midwest, they, they continue to grow. Got a real short blurb about Aquin. Uh, Aquin has just been a fascinating story for several years. Now they're, you know, selling, servicing, paying down debt, and I guess the big question is what is the future for that company? And then right. one last legal update, uh, the judge in the Fairholmes case basically uh, is keeping the uh, FIFA documents uh, private for now. That's you know the case has to do with the takings and the preferred stock purchase agreements and all that, and there's several lawsuits against the government, including the uh, what we call FIFA or FHFA. Uh, right now, those documents are sealed. They'll continue to be sealed, but who knows? Maybe one of those, these days, those documents will leak out or or get you know um, unsealed by the court, and we'll see what's going on the minutia and the behind the scenes decisions that went into the preferred stock purchase agreements and all that other stuff that's related to that. So that's uh, sort of the long and short of it. Good stuff. A lot of information out there. Um, what do you see? Are you going to be at the annual? Excuse me, at the annual conference, Paul. So you're going to be there. I'm not sure yet. Uh, we we're still trying to figure out, uh, you know, which, who on the staff's going. So I'm not sure. Uh, it's all up in the air. <laughs> A lot of times I oh, good. I stay at home and man the desk while our executive editor John <laughs> Bancroft goes. But that's that's fine. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But anyway, there's there's. I was recently requested. They said be sure to ask Paul if he's going to be at the conference. So do it on air. So you're you there. I'll let me know if you end up going there. I got some people. That Will do. Good to have you with us, Paul. Appreciate it very much. Have a great rest of the day. And is it starting to turn get cooler up there in the in the northeast in the D.C. area? It is. And also, congratulations on your new company, by the way, your new launch oh, thank of your you. company. So. Yeah. Well, thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, it's going real well. Really enjoying it. Appreciate okay. it, Bud. Have a great one. See thank you. Back you. Next you week. too. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Bye. Uh, special uh, thank you to. Paul, he joins us each week, and uh, check out the website, www.imfnews.com. Great, great amount of information there, really good, great resource. Uh, Alice Alvey, good to have you here with us. Again, speaking of pure Michigan, beautiful Michigan, the fall up there is just so spectacular, and so um, how's things up there? We're still dealing with some nice warm weather down here in Texas. How's it up there? Well, we have beautiful weather. Yesterday, uh, last week and this week, we're in the 70s and beautiful blue sky and sunny and not a lot of color, just a little hints uh, up north. It's starting to turn a little bit. So, yeah, it's on its way. It's cool at night, so this is a beautiful time of year. 
Love it, love it, love it. Well, it's still hot when it comes to with the, all the things going on with the regulatory world. So give us an update. Now I know we're uh, they're not in session right now, so you're going to focus on some other things, or they're, they're in session. Excuse me, they're in session, but you're you're going to be focusing on some other aspects of what's going on. Give us an update. Yeah, there isn't a, a a lot to go on right now, other than everyone's trying to you know scramble for TRID and uh, getting FHA implemented. It's just such a perfect storm right now. So I thought I'd give us all a break from that conversation and focus on something <laughs> that's getting a little lost in the weeds right now. Um, at the NBA Risk Management Conference, I had the opportunity to sit with two folks from Fannie Mae about collateral underwriter. Uh, so these were two really great credit risk analysts. Uh, you know, shout out to Jerry, 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 I'm sorry, Jeremy Stoudemire and Lyle Radke. They were just great. Um, and uh, holding a session there where folks could just come in and get a chance to see uh, the, the collateral underwriter and the way it works. And plenty of companies have started to work with it, embraced it. But the lender uh, underwriting managers I talked to were not talking on the same page as what I heard from Fannie Mae. So my big message to everybody listening to this show is you have got to go back and analyze how are you using collateral underwriter in your shop and how are your underwriters using it. The item that jumped out at me that was very significant is you reach a point uh, in collateral underwriter where you need an appraiser. So for those of you who haven't had a chance to use this tool and understand yet what it does, it is using Fannie Mae's database and providing information back to the underwriter about the comparables. And it takes a completely different thought process than what we've been using. It, it likes small adjustments. And if you have comps with lots of small adjustments, those comps are going to be preferred, which may not have been the approach that your appraiser took, who might be working more of a philosophical approach. The other thing I know traditionally underwriters have used forever is this idea that some adjustments are more subjective, you know, that the appraiser has an opinion of value. Fannie's all about numbers. That's it. What are the numbers? And so it was fascinating. You know, I can't summarize two hours of meeting with them in my short time here. But um, one of the biggest things that jumped out at me is that you reach a point in the analytics where an underwriter is not qualified. And this is going to happen on a smaller percentage of your appraisals, but nonetheless will happen on the toughest deals that represent your biggest repurchase risk. So I'll give you one example um, in their analytics the appraiser, the subject appraisal, appraiser adjusted a value for a difference of 10 acres and the subject appraisal was a $20,000 adjustment. Sandy May's report comes back saying that should have been a $138,000 adjustment and here's why. And a regular underwriter is going to go, oh my gosh, that's crazy. How can they be off? There must be, you know, I mean, there's just such an amount of right. analytics that go on because are the subject appraiser used more of a uh, of value associated with the package, whereas other appraisers used, you know, per acre price? I just I don't want to go off in too much detail, you know, with the group here, but that just gives you just a shocking example of what can occur in collateral underwriter. And to me, mm. it's way beyond the expertise of your typical underwriter. After seeing that, my recommendation is every shop needs an appraiser and needs to escalate these to somebody who's qualified in USBAP to make these decisions and to be able to defend them because you're defending it to a group of appraisers at Fannie Mae. It's not underwriter defense anymore. It's USBAP defense and market analytics. 
So that's my heads up to the group. Um, certainly at Indicom, we offer that service as well. My my appraisers on our team were going, oh, my gosh, is this going to put us out of business? And after seeing that demo, I think, nope, I think it's exactly nope. the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. yeah, like everything else, it has a tendency to increase this. Yeah, and the complexity of this just keep growing. So you need need, need to get advice, folks, on how to approach these various things. So much going on in the industry, and Alice does a great job of staying in touch with it. And she is so gracious to come on here and talk about it each and every week. Appreciate it so much, Alice. Look forward to getting your particip- having your participation in the servicing update. Look forward to having you back in just a minute, folks, to learn more how to get to do being how to connect with uh, mortgage you listen to this ad we'll be right back if you have questions about mortgage regulations indicom mortgage you has free answers if you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization indicom mortgage you will share great ideas when you need help at any step of the loan process give us a call or send an email the indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage You give you the edge. They do give you an edge, too. Without question, they really do a lot to help you stay on top of all that's going on. Normally, we would have Sam Garcia joining us today. He cannot be here, but I encourage you to check out the website, Mortgage Daily. Dot com. He's got some great material and some excellent resources out there. Uh, he was one of the stories he was noting, as Paula talked about, with the VA. But also, he's talking about jumbo and purchase business really is starting to uh, pick up. It climbed 11 percent um, is what some of the statistics he's picking up from uh, last week. So there's some good growth there. And he's also seeing um, the purchase finance. Forecast raised for 2015. Fannie Mae's projected uh, in 2000, or for September outlook uh, 2015 uh, that there's going to be a nice jump. There's expecting that. Also, some updated numbers, most likely as a result of the Federal Reserve's announcement this last week that they're going to be holding rates as they are. But uh, LTVs were really interesting. Those the average LTV was a 57.3 percent in the second quarter. That came from CoreLogic data that uh, Sam is out there looking through. Also, LTVs have dropped from 58.9 percent. So it's interesting to see what's happening across the country as it relates to some of the loan amounts, some of the metrics. Again, the nice thing about the MortgageDaily.com website is what they do is they're out looking at data in the marketplace. They bring it to you in one place where, again, it's most of us read a lot going on, but if you're wanting for a place that aggregates all this, brings it together, and delivers it to you, check out MortgageDaily.com. Appreciate them for uh, appreciate Sam for being on the broadcast and that whole group. All they do to bring us a lot of great, concise information, all in one, located in one place. That's why we like to tell our listeners about it. Let's get over to Andy Shell, the Profit Doctor. Good to have you here, Profit Doctor. Lots going on. How's hey, your um, How's your accounting seminar webinar going right now? It's going great. We had the first one last week, and we have another one tomorrow. The second of a four series. So. MBA education, so we're excited about that today. Uh, tomorrow we're going to go into more about loan accounting and then on into hedging, and it gets it gets complicated from there. But it's a it's a great opportunity to help people understand their numbers, and that's what it's really all about. We've got to it understand is. our numbers. We're also going to be speaking at the uh, MBA accounting webinar in New Orleans in November, so we'll be there. Look forward to meeting everyone. You said webinar, but it's there. actually you're speaking at the conference. The, uh, actually, at yeah, the, the conference. 
Yeah, sorry, yeah. Dave. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Good. So, Very good. We'll be live and in person, so that'll be fun. <laughs> you know, I, I'm glad you gave me a second before coming to me with a Sam, because I was typing so fast to get all of the notes Alice was talking about on Collateral Underwriter, because I wanted to send yes. an email out real quick on all that update. Um, lots, today we're going to talk... <laughs> go ahead, sorry. Yeah, sorry, so, go ahead. So, so today we're going to talk, talk to... Um, you know, David, about subservicing, and it's such an important topic because uh, servicing is an amazing business, but you have to know why, and you have to be able to measure the why. And while I can sit here and talk about why it's an amazing business, and you can talk about it, and David Allison is going to talk about it, uh, you got to go deeper. you got to be able to present the metrics and the business intelligence based on the results of the activity to explain the true value contribution that servicing can provide. And it really is astronomical, but you've got to go deeper. It's got to, it, there's got to be an understanding as to the, 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 the drivers that affect the MSR, how the MSR can roll through a P&L and have it be overstated in some respects, understated in some respects, it kind of depends. And look at the true cash value of the MSR relative to the market value and why it's better to retain so a best X analysis. So we're going to go. We're going to hear David do his presentation here just as soon as I stop talking. But it's it's really important to go to into the finance, and that's what we try to do with these webinars and at these the MBA conferences. It's talking about beyond the numbers. You know, you get your financial statement, and actually the session that. I'm going to be speaking at is actually titled Beyond the Numbers because it's more than just the financial report. Great title. I keep saying yeah. I keep saying the CPAs, it's not just – I don't want to see a balance sheet and a P&L. Those numbers are too little. I can't read them anyway. And I then <laughs> what does it mean? I want to see a graph. I want to see a chart. I want to see pictures. I want to see colors. And that's what it, we've got to get to in our financial presentation. Tools is how to present the benefits of mortgage servicing – retained, and all of the components that drive value, all the risks that you mitigate, all the benefits that you recognize, and how you convert it into a what, Dave? An ROI. Yes, yes, yes. Very and true. And I think me saying that all the time. But. No, I, and you know what? I, I can never get sick of it because it's what's for the business for to do. It's how to get there, I think, is the biggest question, is what should we include? And then you look at the value of servicing, and you certainly do an excellent job of analyzing it, whether you're in servicing, should they hold it, should they fold it, sell it. Uh, you know, you, you do a great job, Andy, of, of analyzing that, the, the, the economics of it, and also going beyond the economics and you know, what it does to position companies in the marketplace and what it means if you're a servicer. It just... It, a company is just considered at a different level, operating at a different level, when they do retain servicing. So, folks, if you need help in learning how to have, or how to evaluate whether or not you should be in servicing, it's all about the numbers. Well, it's, it is certainly all about the numbers. It's about other things as well, but you've got to start with the numbers. If it doesn't make sense for you, then you're going to be just behind the eight ball. So we're looking forward to having David Allison on in just a minute. Appreciate you, Andy, bringing an update on all that's going on there. And uh, if people want to get a hold of you to talk to you, what's the best way for them to reach you? They can go to our website, mbs-team.com. That's an easy way to get there. Or send me an email at andy at mbs-team.com. Folks, we're going to be back with David Allison in just a minute. 
have a right after this break. So someone just wrote me and said, Dave, you're not on your top of your game. No, I'm not. Thanks for pointing that out. And uh, what the real reason is we were traveling so much last week, and then we were off at a Baylor uh, parents weekend. It was a wonderful weekend to be with our daughter. But, man, sleep deprivation has taken its toll. It's nice to be back home and in our own bed working on it. So I didn't think it was quite that obvious, but thanks for pointing that out. I guess it is a little more obvious. But, anyway, we're going to be right back after this brief break. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. We, as we talk on this broadcast about all the things going on, we cannot order or ignore the topic of accounting and servicing. And you sit and look at, you know, Andy was talking about the importance of accounting and, you know, how the, <laughs> the accounting folks get stuck down the down with the green eye shades, down the darkest part of the building. Well, servicing can sometimes get treated the same way. But it's really an important, integral part and a strategic part of your business plan. And I'm really honored to have David Allison join us again. He's been on this broadcast numerous times. But he's one of the go-to guys that I have that I go to when it comes to trying to evaluate where is the servicing pendulum today? Is it swinging towards retention, away from retention? We certainly have a much more complex servicing environment with the regulatory environment we're in. At CFPB, 80% of all complaints come in at the way servicing is being handled as companies. And so it's a big focus of the CFPB. And a lot of people say, well, it's a good reason for me not to be retaining servicing and a lot of people ask, can I afford it? So welcome to the broadcast, David Allison. David, good to have you back on the broadcast, my friend. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to uh, to participate again. Thanks. It's always fun to have you here, and you do bring us a good holistic perspective on it. Uh, you know, it's what, didn't, what I didn't realize, and I should say at the top of the broadcast, is Adobe Mule just won a prestigious award uh, you, the J.D. Power Award for servicing, and that had previously been held by uh, our friends over at Quicken, and they they looking up and down the landscape, and that's an exhaustive study. Talk a little bit about the fact that you have what you guys <laughs> How did you bump off Quicken? They do a great job on that. So obviously you're now really doing a first-class job in the servicing. And tell us a little bit about that award. All right, well, just to clarify, one of our uh, significant clients was rated uh, higher than anyone else in terms of mortgage servicing satisfaction. That client has uh, a restricted membership, so they weren't considered in the overall study the way Quicken was, but their score was actually higher. And we were very pleased about that because it's a detailed evaluation. Um, J.D. Power has excellent recognition for the quality of their work, and uh, we were thrilled that one of our clients was ranked as the, as the highest scoring 
<clears throat> uh, mortgage servicing operation in the U.S. So thank you. Well, yeah, you bet. Well, they're they're, they're ranked. You're actually the the company that's doing it. So as when they're celebrating your success, I, for some reason I had thought it was actually directly recognizing you, but it was one of your clients that exclusively uses your platform, and they're the ones as a result of the job you do that got the JD Power Award. Very good. Well, Quicken does thank a great you. job, but I was in your facilities and uh, I was just amazed at uh, first of all how complex. Uh, or how huge the facility is you have there, and I didn't realize that you service 1.1 million loans. Is am I did, am I notes serving me well here on that? Is it 1.1 million loans? Absolutely correct. Um, it represents about uh, 240 billion of uh, unpaid principal balance. We have about 300 active uh, clients of all sizes, including many folks who've just are beginning to retain servicing for the first time. And in yeah. the second quarter, we had almost 7% of all new mortgages funded in the U.S. were boarded uh, onto our platform by our clients. Yeah, it's very impressive. When you look at that, and that you by far, of, of all the companies out there, I mean, there's Wells Fargo. I mean, what are they service? Ridiculous amount of number of loans, huge, huge amount. But I think when you come look at, there's certainly some other servicers out there, but you're the largest subservicer by a long shot. Well, I appreciate it. Let's get into the discussion of servicing, David, and really start looking at you know a strategy of loan servicing, retaining mortgage servicing rights (MSRs). Can a firm, the executive, I want you to address the executive. Can an a firm, a smaller firm? What size of firm does it make sense to afford retaining MSRs, mortgage servicing rights? Where's that point? And, uh, you know, you, you, have, you we both know that you do bring on and you will service uh, uh, someone that's going to be made the decision. And I should say they could get approved and get set up with you. You don't charge any money to get set up for them, and you invest a huge amount of time into that process. But talk about the affordability of retaining MSRs. Absolutely. Um, we've worked with uh, you know upwards of 100 firms that have moved into a servicing retained strategy for the first time, starting from scratch. Um, is that a trend, David? Is that a trend that is starting to crescendo grow, or is that actually how would you say that trend is going right now? Is there's actually more interest or less interest than what you've seen at different times? How's that site? Where's it, that pendulum? It's surprisingly going? steady. We worked with a lot of firms over the last two years, and I thought that maybe everyone that wanted to get into servicing had already done so. But we continue to see very strong interest in in that same shift this year. And I thought maybe you know we'd be at the tail end of that, and that has not happened. We continue to see very strong interest. In fact, a number of people that signed up with us last year, the year before, maybe delayed getting active or submitting for their agency approvals and are now, you know, finally ready to move forward for different reasons. So um, there's no let up and we continue to see very strong interest. I think partly because people are anticipating an upward trend in rates and know that the servicing that they accumulate today will be very valuable going forward. And will also provide a cash flow, you know, annuity, uh, possibly to offset, you know, reductions in origination activity as rates uh, begin to rise. Also, the people that we've worked with in the last few years that have 
built um, quite significant portfolios are finding that those portfolios are performing very, very well. And they're very pleased with the decision they made and in many cases are increasing the percentage of their production that they're retaining on a month-to-month basis in today's environment. Well, David, thanks for being on the show. It's Andy. You know, about this, you were just talking about some of the benefits of, of servicing and the value change. And obviously, we, we're not going to do servicing as a short-term play. We're not we're not in it to play the market value change in the MSR because rates go up and life is extended. But so it was, as we talk about the economics of servicing and more people are retaining, and, and actually we need to talk. I probably have three or four people right off the top of my head that are we're helping get there, and I need to talk to you about that. But let's drive down to the numbers. So how much profit can I expect to make net of servicing or subservicing costs by retaining servicing? Absolutely. So typically on a conventional loan, Fannie and Freddie are paying a 25 basis point annual servicing fee. So on a $200,000 loan, the total servicing income is $500 per year, assuming the loan is performing. Um, Of that 25 basis points or $500, once you have a kind of reasonable volume, you can expect that your third-party subservicing costs, if you choose to go in that direction, are going to be in the range of about $10 a month, $120 a year, or about um, the six basis points on that $200,000 loan. So of the 25 basis points in revenue, you can look for a servicing cost with a third party of about six basis points, depending on the portfolio, um, leaving you with a net of about 19 basis points of net revenue. You also have to factor into that your cost of internal uh, oversight and your custodian expenses and your cost of funding advances if you do uh, MBS servicing with either Fannie, Freddie, or Ginny. So those costs are uh, also have to be factored into the equation and will obviously vary dramatically based on the size of your portfolio, how you structure those expenses, particularly the oversight and servicing manager that you would have on staff, and then the type of portfolio that you're servicing and the quality of the portfolio. Yeah, lots of detail right there, David. So let's drive down just a little bit. It was $500 in, in top-line revenue on service fee, about $120 per loan a year. So that's $380 kind of net before all the other overhead and other costs. But still, that's that's positive. That's $380 per loan retained servicing, and that's a, that's an annuity. So it, I guess it goes down a little bit as the loan amortizes, but that that's an annuity for as long as you, you collect it. And, and, you, and you started to talk about advances, agency advances. And while those aren't expenses because we get reimbursed for that, that does suck up cash to some degree if you've got to deal with that. So it looks to me like you're making money on every loan. So why does everybody say, or you hear people make this phrase, you know, that servicing is so cash intensive – so how do we deal with that? Obviously, we got to – in my world, it's all about profit and cash flow. Actually, it's the other way around. Start with cash flow, then profit. How do you, how do you deal with estimating your, your cash requirements in retaining servicing? All right. Well, first, let's talk about what the cash requirements include. 
and then we can talk about you know how to estimate and how to plan. Um, the primary cash requirement is if you do MBS servicing um, for pools with either Fannie, Freddie, or Ginny, and there are any borrowers that do not pay, the servicer or the servicer of record or the owner of the servicing has to fund those monthly principal and interest payments or P&I advances to the agencies and ultimately to the security holders. Most of our clients we find start with Fannie Mae using the cash window, which does not require the funding of P&I advances on delinquent loans. So it's a, and the service revenue is the same. So it's a very good way to start off without taking some of that advanced funding risk. You would have to fund, even with the cash window, you would have to fund escrow advances for delinquent loans, but those are far uh, smaller than the monthly P&I advance. And the other factor to consider with the P&I advance is it continues while the loan is in default. And in certain states, that can be two years or more depending on the foreclosure timelines. So certainly, you know, MBS servicing does have, if they're delinquent loans and, and all portfolios have delinquent loans, that kind of servicing does have a significant cash requirement. And as you said, uh, most of those advances are ultimately reimbursed. In the case of government servicing, they're not reimbursed entirely, but the vast majority of the advances are reimbursed but firms do have to have adequate liquidity to fund those advances along the way. Fannie Mae cash window or what's called actual actual uh, servicing does not require the principal and interest advances and is a great option for a lot of conventional lenders. So great to have you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Alice, I was just going to talk to you the mic. Go ahead. I just yeah, to thank you. So great to have you on the program. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. We've been touching a little on the accounting, and for me it's always the regulatory requirements, and servicing has been through just as much as the front end and um, all of their regulatory requirements. So um, does having the loan in the subservicing relationship change any of that? You know, um, so this is complex regulatory requirements, um, are, you know, how does that change the liability for noncompliance for lenders? Or can you can you touch a little bit on that? Because you know, to me, a lender is going to try and take that on themselves and may not be aware of what it is, even though they're maybe not really passing it to you in full. It's still having someone qualified to do the work. Absolutely. Um, so the owner of the servicing are various clients and the approved seller servicer or in the case of Ginny May, the approved issuer, ultimately retains and owns the compliance risk, whether they do the work themselves or they use a third-party subservicing firm. Um, most find, uh, especially starting off and with smaller or mid-sized portfolios, that it's far more cost-effective and more reliable to use an experienced subservicing firm that has the compliance and technology structures in place to mitigate that risk and perform according to all of the requirements. What we have seen is that the complexity of the requirements has gone up dramatically with CFPB 
and the agencies and the states and the liability or cost of compliance has also risen sharply with the agency compensatory fees, the CFPB penalties, and the various state penalties. So either way, the lender or the servicer owns that risk. The question is how best to manage it. And most find that building out the compliance infrastructure and the technology and the staffing are easier to manage using a third party with an established operation and critical scale than trying to build that out internally. But you make a very good point, and that is that lenders need to understand that ultimately they're responsible for the work that anyone does on their behalf, including uh, subservicers. So that's kind of one of the discussions we always end up in, especially with something like FHA and you have a credit union who's always wanted to retain their servicing. You know, I think a new player to the market is always open to a subservicer, but to me there's always there's a lot of companies out there that really should be using a subservicer, especially when they think, oh, I can do conventionals. FHA can't be that different, which then I spend hours trying to explain to them why it's dramatically different. And, and they keep going, but customer service, customer service, you know, they don't want to let go of that. So can you share, you know, with some folks kind of that service in-house or use a servicer, the, the pros and cons and why, why they should really look at a, um, a subservicer and when? Absolutely. Um, I think the, the three driving factors that we see in experienced servicers or legacy servicers making the decision to shift towards a subservicing environment um, number one is compliance. The new requirements are so difficult, and the traditional integrated core banking and credit union systems are not designed to do not perform well under the new compliance requirements for servicing. The second driving factor is costs. Uh, the MBA has shown extensive information, and Dave mentioned that Mike Fratitoni is going to be on the program in two weeks. Uh, the MBA has uh, shown recently, for example, that in the last five or six years, servicing costs have nearly tripled on average because of all the new requirements. And then the third variable is, is the quality of service. And many people talk about that but don't really quantify what that means and demonstrate what those specific capabilities are and a larger servicing environment that has more advanced technology and more people can often provide much higher levels of service in terms of um, call center efficiency, service quality, and service capability in terms of online functionality that a smaller bank thrift, credit union, or mortgage company may be able to do with more limited systems. So it's really compliance, cost, and customer service. Hey, David, this is Joe. Uh, we were talking at a conference last month in San Diego, and you mentioned to me all the systems that you tie together. It's not like you just have one one uh, servicing system. If you could uh, you know, elaborate on that just a little bit, I think it would be a great illustration for people that are trying to put together this thing in-house. Thanks, Joe. That's a, a great point, and I think one of 
you know, what I was saying is we hear one of the misconceptions that, well, I can go buy a servicing system. And there really is no such thing as a single servicing system. Um, we use the largest system in the industry, which is the MSP loan servicing system owned and operated by Black Knight. But around that core technology, that's that's like the – I'm dating myself with the Chevy 350 V8 engine. Around that technology, for example, we have um, four different call center technologies, one to route incoming calls, one for power dialing on outbound calls in the collections area, uh, one for digital call recording for quality control purposes, and the fourth one is the automated voice response unit to let people access information using a touchtone phone. We have a separate system that we use for the loss mitigation calculations that are required for HAMP and other modifications. Uh, we have separate uh, third-party uh, consumer-facing web systems to give the borrowers the most advanced capability to monitor and service their loans online. And we have a variety of client-facing business intelligence systems to allow clients to analyze their portfolio, to monitor key trends, and to monitor the key performance indicators for the work that we do. So you're really looking at you know somewhere between eight and ten different technologies that have to be orchestrated and integrated and interfaced in order to have a across-the-board capability uh, for servicing. So there's no such thing yeah. as one single servicing system. And that's a great point. Thank you. You bet. Well, it, it, it struck me as being a no-brainer, and so I'm going to ask this next question. Uh, as it relates to getting approval to, to be a servicer, are you uh, – are you viewed more favorably from the agencies if you're planning to use a subservicer or if you're planning to build all this Great in-house? Question. I'm not sure it's a question of more or less favorably, but it's certainly easier to submit an application for seller servicer approval or new issuer approval, which any may based on using an established, you know, reputable, uh, known subservicer. Anyone submitting a recommendation based on building a servicing operation, de novo, would have to provide a full set of servicing policies and procedures, resumes of all the key people that are going to be involved in staffing that operation, and very detailed specifications of all the technologies that are going to be used and how they're going to be integrated in order to give the agencies comfort that that servicing operation really can get off the ground and perform according to the agency requirements. So the uh, submission requirements in that situation are dramatically more detailed and comprehensive and a lot more work for the lender in order to prepare all that information. When a lender is submitting an application to the agencies based on using a subservicer, okay, they good. need to submit three things. One is the uh, fully executed subservicing agreement, so the agency can see that that relationship is in place and there is a servicing partner. Secondly, the lender has to provide servicing oversight policies and procedures in terms of how they will monitor the work 
performed by the subservicer, and we help our clients with that documentation. And then third, the lender has to provide the resume of the servicing manager who will be on staff to perform that oversight. Much Complexity different. is much totally so so true. Joe, do you have another question? I want to make sure I don't. No, I don't. Uh-uh. Let's, okay, well, there's just so much that goes into this, and I've again turned your facility, and anyone who's going to go out there and look at this, and you, you start really understanding how complex this servicing is business is. But like as Andy's talking about, the economics really can make sense for someone to do that. So I encourage everyone to really give subservicing, retaining servicing really very serious consideration. And when you look at the complexities of it, you know, just even monitoring the subservicer Dover Mules, your your work that you do is you gotta have a staff to do that. So there's a lot of complexity. So if we were if, if someone were to use a subservicer, what do they need to have in terms of staff and vendor oversight and quality control to do so and meet the agency requirements and, and do so in best practices? Right. So they, uh, the agencies require that you have someone on staff at the time you submit your application that has servicing experience with agency portfolios, not whole loan portfolios and not interim servicing for the aggregators or the correspondent lenders like Wells, Chase, and City, but some experience with actual Fannie, Freddie, or Ginny portfolios to understand what's involved in remitting and reporting and reconciling with third parties, managing the custodial accounts and the flow of funds. Those are the most important areas that they emphasize. The person doesn't necessarily have to be 100% dedicated to this activity but they have to have had some meaningful experience so they understand these concepts and can provide a a strong level of oversight on the work done by any third party, including the subservicer. Um, So we we help our clients even in reviewing resumes and giving them feedback as to whether a person might be viewed, a candidate might be viewed favorably by the agencies based on their background. So it's a, it requires an investment, and uh, servicers yep. and lenders certainly you know need to be aware of that that requirement in order to meet best practices. I think one of the things I stress there also when it comes to the retaining and hiring someone to to oversee the the servicing relationship that they have with Dovamule or whatever subservice they're using, is that person has to have recent experience. It can't someone that did it five years ago, even two years ago. It has changed enough with the regulatory environment. It has to be current experience. And I think that really creates some challenges for people. Finding people with current experience on this can be a little bit of an, a, a challenge. Another challenge people have, an objection people have, David, is, well, I, I, I'm going to lose the branding. I'm going to lose the company. If I go out to a subservicer, the, you know, I'm going to lose the sense that, this is my servicing operation. But speak to that. You have several options. You can do a branding, co-branding, and a full-branded solution. Talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. And we usually do a full, what we call, private label solution where the monthly invoices or billing statements that we issue to the borrowers have the lender's name and logo and color scheme Uh, They have a message box where the lender can do customized marketing messages out to the borrower base. Um, We set up dedicated phone lines, 
so that we can identify the calls coming in by client and answer the calls using the name of the client. We develop and host private branded consumer-facing websites that are linked right off the lender's homepage, or in the case of a bank or credit union, they're linked from the home banking system. Um, and all of the other correspondence that we send is branded, and even the credit bureau reporting that we do is branded under the name of the lender. So there really is no loss of brand awareness, and in many cases the brand awareness is enhanced because of the way right. that we um, provide those materials out to the borrowers. So, David and Sandy, let's go. Let's go a little bit into some of the the next steps. And, and just to your your point a minute ago about the oversight of the subservicer by the servicer, that whole third party management arena is a show in and of itself. So there's so much to cover <laughs> just on so that true. point. So, so circling back to that, and then at another time, David. But for now. Let's say okay, we're ready to go forward. We we want to we see the benefit. We want to retain service, and we've never done this before. We we don't have a big portfolio to transfer. We're going to we're going to start from scratch and start retaining. How do we go about picking the best subservicer for our our company given our size? Absolutely, and and there are a lot of you know, good strong firms that are out there. I think some. Um, it's important to look at the firm's background, the volume of agency servicing that they handle, and most importantly, the fit and their willingness to work with a lender that may not have a portfolio to convert and make that build-up process affordable with a fee structure that recognizes someone uh, you know, may not have a large portfolio on day one. Um, some subservicers are more open to that. Others simply require a minimum portfolio conversion or you know they're not interested. So I think it's finding the right fit, talking to their other clients that have gone through that same process to find out how user-friendly is the subservicer. Are they willing to hold your hand? Are they willing to work with you to understand um, how to get started, what kind of mistakes to avoid, how to build an oversight program, are there going to be additional charges for that oversight support, to make sure that you're comfortable, they're a good partner as you build and as you continue to grow. Perfect. Thanks, David. So, um, Dave, yeah, hi, Dave. So uh, I didn't know. I know we're running short on time here, so maybe we're going to go too. over. Because there's, <laughs> there's so we much are going to go talk a little bit over, here. yes. Like a, yeah. So if you want me to uh, jump in here, I will, because you brought up a, 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 an important area that I think brings up risks, right? That's all part of the risk assessment that a company does as they're trying to venture down this path. And it all starts with owning MSRs, you know, in the first place. So what are some of the other major risks of owning MSRs? Right. I think the, the, the three major risks are definitely uh, prepayment, capital and compliance. So anytime you own MSR, you're making an assumption and a bet on the future direction of interest rates. Mm -hmm. If rates rise, your portfolio will appreciate in value because of the longer life expectancy of the underlying loans. And if rates fall, the portfolio will prepay very quickly. And you probably wish you had sold those loans servicing released on day one. So 
regardless of how you select which loans to retain and how you manage the best execution strategy, overall the driving factor behind the ROI will be the prepayment speeds, far more important than any other single variable. The, the second risk is the capital and funding risk related to um, funding advances that we talked about before. And the third risk, is, as we discussed, is that the lender continues to own the compliance uh, responsibility and risk if there are any violations. So prepayments, capital, and compliance are the three most significant risks. Hey, David, it's Joe again. Uh, uh, you mentioned earlier on that, that somebody just starting out might prefer to keep actual actual loans uh, uh, as opposed to MBS. What are your thoughts on non-agency versus agency? Do you uh, do you recommend people keep the non-agency because they might get they they might perceive better value internally than what they can get by selling it? Possibly, that's a great question, and it it's just harder to find an outlet. Um, if you're a mortgage banker and a non-portfolio lender, it's hard to find an outlet uh, to sell non-agency MBS with servicing retained unless you're doing your own private MBS like a Redwood. Um, otherwise, it's just hard to find that opportunity to sell the loan and keep the servicing the way you can with Fannie, Freddie, and Ginny. We do have a number of portfolio lenders that have uh, retained uh, whole loans on their balance sheet that would be considered as as uh, you know non-QM or non-agency eligible, either jumbo or also because of different underwriting uh, uh, you know, features and, and uh, differences in the underwriting profile. So we do see a, an interest on the portfolio side. For the non-depository mortgage bankers, it's more difficult to find that outlet. Sure. All right, David, lots going on here. So, um, and I guess, Mr. Lickin, if we continue a little bit longer. Yep, So we can. Um, and and, and for, for folks listening, what Joe just talked about was actual actual versus scheduled and the cash impact. You guys need to Google that, and it's really important. So, so David, we're talking or about – call you. Just call or, you. Don't Google yeah. Just call <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> um, or call Joe. Call David. Anybody. So um, – you know, we got this MSR investment on our books, and it's subject to value changes based on PSA table adjustments. For payment speeds accelerate, the MSR goes down. And we've got risk because we've got to write that off because we wrote it up. So it's a bunch of accounting smoke and mirrors that drive people nuts. <laughs> so, But how do we protect ourselves from that? How do, you know, how do we hedge our – or should we hedge our MSR investment? Right. And I, I'm certainly not um, a hedge advisor. And Dave and, and you all know many of the folks that that do that, you know, as a service. Um, we do find that the majority of our clients, especially the ones, you know, starting off and even upwards of, you know, ten billion in servicing, typically do not uh purchase, you know, secondary financial hedges on their portfolio. They view the servicing as a natural hedge to the originations. Um, but that's a you know kind of a soft correlation, and right, obviously right. depends on the size of the portfolio versus the size of the production. Um, but hedging does require a greater degree of sophistication and oversight, and is generally used by the larger uh, servicers 
but something that everyone has to evaluate for themselves. And they're great firms that, that you all have had on the show before that offer that expertise. Great, thanks. Alice. So, David. Oh, Joe, excuse me. Yeah, Go ahead. Never mind. Oh, I'm I sorry. I was jumping ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. That's okay. So, um, you know, I guess internally, right, they're all working with the fact that, um, you know, borrowers are asking for refinancing and they're coming to you potentially for that and payoff requests are all coming uh, through to Dovenmule or is the communication still coming to the lender? So in kind of that loop, how does that work with a subservicer? I, I mean, I know how some of my clients handle it, but I'd like to hear you talk about that with folks. So when payoff re- requests come in, you know, how does all that work so that we can still kind of have a servicing retention plan? Absolutely. And, you know, it's a good point because we do no originations at all as a subservicing firm. We're 100% dedicated to outsourcing. So we have no way of growing our portfolio in aggregate other than helping our clients protect against runoff or at least recycle the new loan. So we do a couple of things. One is... um, Whenever we uh, uh, are on the phone with a borrower and they ask about a refinance or a new loan, um, we do what we call a warm handoff of that call back right to the lender's origination desk so the borrower doesn't even have to hang up and and call again. Secondly, um, we provide our clients with a daily report of all requests that we get for payoff statements and verifications so they can have their loan officers contact those borrowers and find out what's happening and try to recapture that loan before it goes to someone else. And then additional steps include statement messaging, uh, direct mail programs, and even telemarketing to protect the portfolio and defend that asset. And we work with our clients to help them do that, and it's extremely important to protect against that downside prepayment risk. All right, Joe. Now yeah, that kind of that, that that answered what I was going to ask right there. So <laughs> yeah, I think it did. Yeah, exactly right. One of the things that when you look at the cost, someone's listening to this thing going, "Okay, I'm, I'm going to explore this some more. I'm going to get a hold of David Allison. We're going to give you contact information here just a minute as we wrap up the broadcast." But you know, what costs are involved with uh, subservicing, setting up to get approved while waiting to get approved with you, and and while waiting for their agency approvals? What costs involved? Right. So that's always the chicken and the egg uh, question. And the way our agreements are set up is that the agreement can be executed and submitted to the agencies for approval, and there's no costs until the client obtains the agency approvals and any state approvals for servicing that they may need and actually begins to deliver loans under the contract to us to be subserviced. So there's no meter running while the lender is waiting, you know, four to six months or more to get all of the required approvals and begin to retain. The only cost they would have would be for the person that they have on staff to perform the oversight, who will probably be doing some other functions waiting to to launch the servicing program. But from us, there are no uh, costs along the way. So the, other than the person that they have that they've hired that, Again, if they can multitask to other things, then there's you can mitigate that cost by having involved in other things. But let's talk a little bit about the, the last topic I want to touch on just real briefly is the additional state approvals for stuff subservicing. Do you need different approvals with the various states? Or some states right. do and some and, don't? 
Absolutely, and I mentioned that because it's a common misconception. Whether you service in-house or use a third-party subservicer, either way, the lender, the servicer of record or the owner of the servicing, has to have licenses for servicing in states where those licenses are required. Not every state has a specific servicing license, but more and more of them are moving in that direction. So we are licensed to perform all the activities that we do as a subservicer, but our licensing does not provide protection upstream to the lender. They definitely need to have their own uh, licenses state by state, depending on how they're structured, whether they have any exemptions or preemptions. Um, but every lender needs to analyze that and use probably outside counsel to guide them in terms of what additional licensing is required. So it's a very important question and one that's commonly misunderstood. Very good, David. Appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Folks, I apologize for us going a little over, but it's an important discussion. I want to get it all in into one broadcast as much as possible. If you want to reach David, you can reach him by emailing him at david.allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N, at dmicorp.com, or you can... The phone number they can reach you at directly, I think you have a direct, it's your direct dial number, 847-550-7550. Is that correct, David? Absolutely, and we'll be at the NBA in San Diego at booth number 1107, and please come by and visit. 1107, very good. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to be here with us, give us an update on the servicing, and uh, the other folks that we've had on talking about hedging has been Austin Tillman and David Stevens. Uh, not the David Stevens the MBA, this could be our guest next week, but the David Stevens who is just really, those two are at, at United Capital Markets in Denver. If you need their, their contact information, folks, get a hold of me and uh, I'm happy to supply that. David, again, thank you so much for being with us. Look forward to having everyone back next week. We have David Stevens, the president of the NBA, giving a State of the Union, kind of talking about what's going on, his perspective. It's the pre-conference broadcast we typically do with him. We have him on several times. Excited to have him on. Also, we will be having uh, Mike Frattentoni on the following week. So we've got a lineup of great guests. Looking forward to having each of you back next week as we listen to David Stevens giving a presentation of what's going on across the industry. What was the NBA paying attention to? Good to have you with us. This broadcast, look forward to having you back here next week. Have a great week, everybody. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Elvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening. 